Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Sports Speak, now powered by SeatGeek, episode 134. I'm Eddie Kalegi. Tim Moore not with us right now. We do have Raheel Jaswal, though, and there's a lot to break down. The NBA conference finals have been surprisingly dominant by the two teams that I don't know if the NBA necessarily wanted in the finals. Nope. Uh, they wanted a Lakers-Celtics matchup, but it's been all nuggets, all heat. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about a little list that I made of some top superstars in the NBA and which 12 players I put in that class of NBA players. I'll let Raheel react to that. And some baseball to talk about as well, Yankees and Mets. Both on general upswings right now, we can talk about that as we are now two months into the season and we're getting a bit a clearer picture of which teams may be considered elite this year in Major League Baseball. But again, we are sponsored by uh, SeatGeek now, so if you want to get some tickets, concerts, sporting events, you can go there, your first purchase, use the promo code SPORTSSPEAK, all caps, Mush together one word and you will get 20 bucks off. Sounds like a good deal to me. But what's also been a good deal in the NBA is the Miami Heat and their defense, which has now gone through and just shut down the Boston Celtics. And the Celtics have just been having fits in this series. The Heat most recently last night, Raheel winning 128 to 102 to take a commanding 3-0 lead. That one was at home after they went to the TD Garden and took the first two games of the series. And I got to say, again, this is just proving how incredibly coached Miami is. Eric Spolstra takes a team with a lot of role players and makes them into key pieces, with the exception of the years when they had LeBron. The Heat have had tremendous success with one star, whether it was Dwayne Wade or Jimmy Butler, and complimentary pieces that found a way with Miami and didn't really have much else in their careers with other teams. But Spolstra now has made this team an offensive, really, powerhouse. And they have gone through against arguably the three best defensive teams in the NBA in the Bucks, the Knicks, and the Celtics, and just can't be stopped. Yeah, and this is why I will continue to make the argument you can put Spolstra in the top 10, top 10 coaches of all time debate. Look at, I mean, you you talk about their role players. I mean, most of these guys, Max Strews, Gabe Vincent, Duncan Robinson, they're all undrafted. And last season, they pretty much had the exact same roster. And they still made, and they made the conference finals. And they took this Celtics team, who was better last year, to seven games. So now this year was kind of, the regular season was a little off because they finished 43 and 39, barely got over 500, almost went out to the Bulls in the playing game, which is the crazy part. But this team, the way they are set up, if you look at it, it fits perfectly because your main superstar, Jimmy Butler, not a very good three-point shooter. But who do you surround him with? These absolute snipers who not only can knock down threes, they can hit tough sidestep threes, deep threes. They can make their own shot. You know, guys like Gabe Vincent, he can make his own shot from deep. Max Struess when he gets hot. Caleb Martin was a great player in college. He has showed up. And Duncan Robinson, we all know, even though he has struggles defensively, and he kind of has him again in the minutes, he could still knock down threes at any point and get hot. And then in the playoffs, Jimmy Butler can rise up and hit the occasional big three. Bam gives you flexible play because he can he can play the center, but he can also play the four. And he plays lockdown defense. He locked up Giannis in the first round. And now he's doing similar things down low. So this team is just set up really well, and their discipline is great. And because of that, they're up 3-0, and it looks like they're going to the finals. 
it's just crazy what parallels there are between the Miami Heat and the Florida Panthers doing the exact same thing from the same area. I mean, both eighth seeds making it into the playoffs, knocking off the best team in their conference uh, and really rallying and making it to the conference finals and taking a commanding lead. So it's a happy time in South Beach for their indoor sports, both the Heat and the Panthers making deep runs right now. And now this brings me to another topic. So I compiled a list earlier because as I've said many times before, I am a huge fan of Jimmy Butler. And I really think we have reached a point where he has reached the ultimate stardom in the NBA. I know in the regular season, he's a star. He's an all-star. Many won't put him in the superstar caliber. But because of the way he turns things on in the playoffs and guides Miami teams, Spolstra is great, but you need a player as an anchor. And Jimmy Butler has absolutely been that. And the Heat are a win away from making the finals for the second time in four years. They've made it to the conference finals three times in four years in a conference that many believed was run by Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly. Well, hey, Miami's got more trips to the conference finals than all of them except Boston and are about to have more trips to the finals in that span than any of those teams if they can hang on and win a fourth game in this series. So I made a list. I have 12 players uh, in the NBA. We will have a graphic up that I consider as right now the NBA superstars. Here it is from the Lakers, LeBron and Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic, Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid, James Harden, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Devin Booker, Luka Doncic, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. Those are the 12 I put. Now, some people that I left off that might be questionable, Kyrie Irving and Kawhi Leonard, to me, have the capability, as does Paul George. Their availability is the problem right now in reaching the superstar caliber. Same with Zion Williamson. Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, DeMar DeRozan, all great players, but I don't have them reaching this point just yet. Same with Trey Young. And John Morant is another one that I left off, but is also on the brink. But to me... I think you could narrow it down to those 12 guys that really are the anchors and the cornerstones of the NBA, in my opinion. And Jimmy Butler, because of his postseason success when it matters most, absolutely belongs in that company. I agree with that. I have no problem. The only person I'll fight you on maybe is Devin Booker. But besides that, I ain't got a problem with any of those people on the list, if we're being completely honest. Because, yes, we, we talk about Butler in the regular season. He's an all-star. But in the postseason, when it really matters, he jumps up all of his numbers. He averages near 30 People don't for people forget because everyone wanted to make excuses in the bubble. People forget how good he was in the bubble, how well he played in that finals, the 40 point triple doubles he was dropping, willing that team to six games against the Lakers who are far healthier than they were. So, and even last season, the what he did, yeah, he missed that shot against Boston, but still will mostly willed his team. It's it's so it's solely based on him and what he's been able to do. So I have, I don't have any problem with that. My contention with Devin Booker is, A, two years ago, the fact that he was the best player on that Suns team that made it to the finals. I know, say what you want about the playoffs that year and everybody getting injured, but Phoenix still had to get there, and they did. And they had their own injuries, too. Chris Paul was not completely healthy down the stretch, and they found their way to the finals. And I know they've had some laughable exits from the playoffs the last two years, but Booker has performed pretty well in the postseason down the stretch and this year I think a lot of it was just because of a lack of chemistry because just like what happened with the Nets two years ago they didn't have all these stars playing on the court that much and unlike any other sport basketball is really chemistry dependent in my opinion at least and when you have 
two guys in Durant and Booker who want to take the most shots, plus a point guard in Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. It's just hard to really balance everything out. And they just didn't get to play a lot of games together. But uh, that's my contention with Booker. But staying with the Suns, we'll talk about the Western Conference Finals in a second. I want to talk about this because Monty Williams got fired. Doc Rivers got fired. Budenholzer got fired. Those are three of the better coaches and Nick Nurse as well. So those are four of the better coaches over the last five years. Budenholzer and Nick Nurse have both won championships. I understand Doc Rivers. To, to an extent with the Sixers, but some of these other guys, I mean, Monty Williams, ever since the bubble has just elevated the Suns. The Bucks with Budenholzer have become the best defensive team in the NBA. And I know, you know, they won a championship two years ago. They had disappointing exits the last two years, but they were still an elite team and they have a title to their name. Do you feel like right now in the NBA, coaches aren't getting long enough of a leash? Um, I feel, well, it's mainly because the easiest thing to do when a team fails, the easiest swing of the ax, always the first one, it's the coach. If we're being completely honest, I mean, I mean, not, not bringing up Steve Nash, but remember in Brooklyn, there was a bunch of different problems. The first swing was Steve Nash, Philly. We all knew it was going to be doc. Now, granted, like I, I understand why doc got fired, but if you really look at it, there was not much he could have done in that game seven when both your superstars play that when both your stars play that bad. But again, he was the easy swing of the axe. Budenholzer, I mean, it. they've been on the verge of firing him so long. Like, let's be honest, if they lose that series to Brooklyn where Katie has his foot in the line, I believe he gets fired then. He, they win the championship. They lose last year to Boston, but they did have a 3-2 lead in that series and completely got outplayed in game six and seven. And this year, Giannis was in and out of the lineup, but you still had him in when they were down only two to one. So I understand, again, easy swing of the axe, Budenholzer. Now, Monty, Monty's a different story, but just the way it ended again. Last season, in a game seven, your home building, I know Chris Paul, I know Devin Booker were really bad, but you're down 30. This year, elimination game on in your home building, you're down 30 at half again. Easy swing of the axe is the coach. They're probably going to move DeAndre Ayton as well. Those two, to me, were the easiest ones. I mean, Booker and Katie were awful in, the, in game six. No one talks about that, but... It's just the way the way it works in almost all sports. The easiest swing of the axe when something goes wrong is the coach. Yeah, that's how it is. It's fair enough. It's just it's just tough because I feel like a lot of times they're scapegoated because there's other problems. Oh, 100 percent. 100 percent. Yeah. But I, I understand where you're coming from. Now, one coach who's gotten a lot of credit, but his team, I don't think, hasn't gotten enough for their domination this postseason. It's Mike Malone and the Nuggets. I mean, they were the one seed. Many people thought they were going to be an early exit and could get tripped up specifically with who came out of the Suns Clippers series, because we just haven't seen Denver go on a deep playoff run over the last few years. Furthest they get was in the bubble in the Western conference finals. And uh, we know people have their doubts about the legitimacy of the yeah. bubble. Uh, beyond that, there's been really little that Denver has accomplished in the playoffs, but you look at the way this year has gone, did not manage to get tripped up one bit by Minnesota. You cruise against Phoenix, who many people thought were the favorites to win the NBA title going into the playoffs. And the Lakers suddenly with all this momentum, LeBron looking rejuvenated, Austin Reeves transforming into a young star. And you beat them three straight times, including going into LA yep. and winning a game there, which is very difficult and has proved very difficult so far this postseason for both the Warriors and the Grizzlies. The fact that the Nuggets just went in there and took care of business. I know LeBron's shooting hasn't been great, but still, you're against one of the two greatest players in the history of basketball, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who's been playing really well this postseason, plus Reeves 
and a solid complementary mix of younger pieces, which the Lakers have really not had in their LeBron James era. And Jokic has been doing it, but Jamal Murray has been clutching up as well. I mean, Caldwell Pope has played pretty well for Denver. It's just a nice mix on this roster. And to me, I feel like people are not talking about it enough. The Denver Nuggets have cruised in this Western Conference postseason, a win away from making the finals for the first time in so, so long. And, you know, nobody's talking about it. Well, of course, no one's talking about it because they all want to talk about the Lakers. And it's kind of crazy because the Denver Nuggets have won 53 games. They lost, they went 34 and 7 at home. I think they, the record was actually like 34, 34 and 3 or something when Jokic was healthy. And no one wanted to talk about it. Let's be honest. Everyone thought, ah, yeah, Denver's at the number one seed, but they're not going to do much in the playoffs. No one expected them to lose to Minnesota. But they showed how good they are in that Suns series because the Suns just didn't have enough depth to beat them. The Nuggets showed how deep they are. And I know I have and – and their depth – you look at their depth. I mean, you've got Michael Porter Jr. Yes, he's up and down. No one likes the contract, but he can make shots. Bruce Brown, Eddie, you know he was a – you weren't too happy when the Nets – decided to get rid of him. He's sort of that all-around Swiss Army knife. He can score. He can defend pretty well. He gives you good, solid minutes off the bench. He's there. And KCP, people forget, he was on that championship Lakers bubbles team, and he was a really good 3 and D guy. He's a really good perimeter shooter, and he's a knockdown, a really good perimeter defender, and he can knock down threes. And now you're starting to see him take over the games when Murray and Jokic start to get the attention. But I want to give you Jokic's numbers in the last eight games because I feel like Jokic has been completely disrespected his entire career. Everyone's always fighting, oh, whether it's Jokic and Embiid, oh, when Jokic won the back-to-back MVPs. In his last eight games, okay, 39, 16, and 5, 37-7, 53-4-11, 29-13-12, 32-10-12, 34-21-14, 23-17-12, and his worst game, 24-6-8. Was 24, 6, and 8. And oh, by the way, he shot near 50% in all of those games. And you look at Jamal Murray, he's re- and again, Eddie, you talk about their lack of deep runs the last two years. Well, they didn't have Jamal Murray in either postseason. If you remember, he had the ACL injury. When they when they were really good in the bubble, he was unstoppable. And now he's regained that form. And it's so crazy because at the end of game three, you've never seen this. You don't see the big man run the pick and roll with the smaller dude. And that's exactly what they did. So just unbelievable what they're doing. I, I, Mike, Michael Malone, to me, has always been a great coach. He always finds a way. He's completely outcoaching Darvin Ham in this series. I thought in the bubble, he completely outcoached uh, Quinn Snyder when they came back from 3-1. He completely ran rings around Doc Rivers. He's also a great coach that no one gives him much credit for either. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And he has been instrumental for this Nuggets team. Well, the Western Conference, Eastern Conference Finals, we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, Quickly, a prediction from you. Celtics or Lakers, can either of them steal a game four, or do you see a couple of sweeps? I think the Lakers can steal a game four tonight. For me, in Boston, I just think it's, I think they've completely quit on Joe Missoula. I don't know. I think this could be the end of Tatum and Brown in Boston with the way they're both playing, but uh, at least one of them, I think maybe Jalen Brown goes somewhere else. Cause he's up for that max max free agent spot. But um, I think LA is more than capable of stealing a game four. I just, I don't think Boston, I don't think Boston can do it though. Well, we're going to transition to baseball and we have a surprise uh, extra guest coming here. He's oh, he's here. here. Tim has arrived. Here he is. You're My here. Bad. Time to talk some baseball. Welcome. 
I'm glad to be here. All right. Well, let's get into it. And I'm going to put you right on the spot here. Let's talk some Yankees. Aaron Judge has been starting to heat up. They've started to win some games. The AL East is just ridiculous. All five teams are at least five games over 500 right now. My question this time around, we've talked about the Yankees' successes and failures, but in the East itself, where do you see them stacking up? They've started to rise up. The Blue Jays dropped a couple of games. Still don't have some questions about Boston's pitching, I think, long-term. But in terms of where they're at right now through these first two months, where do you see them in relation to the rest of the division? I see them being the second best team, maybe even the third. I, again, I'm glad Aaron Hicks is gone. I'm glad he's DFA'd. I'm glad that everybody's starting to get healthy again. But when it's all said and done, you know, the Yankees' starting rotation was not the issue last year. It's the offense. And we saw what this offense had done the last two weeks when Aaron Judge was either hurt or just simply was not getting into his groove. Now, of course, what happens? Aaron Judge, prior to yesterday, homered uh, over a stretch of seven games seven times. And what happens? The Yankees won five out of their last seven games. So, and I think now, what, they swept the Reds around a four-game winning streak. I think it's actually, what, five, six-game winning streak? But that's besides the point. The point is that Aaron Judge plays well. What happens? The New York Yankees play well. And I do not want to undermine this. Listen, Anthony Rizzo has had a very good season. I don't want to take that away from him. Um, Anthony Volpe has not been bad. He could be better hitting. I think we we all agree with that, Raheel and I both, that, you know, he's a rookie. He's molding in, and I think he's doing a fine job. But at the end of the day, the Yankees just don't have that answer still offensively outside of Aaron Judge which is why it's very hard to make me believe compared to Tampa Bay that has multiple plug-in answers in the pitching positions. And I know it's a little bit of the contrary, but they could play complementary offense that the Yankees can't, which is why they're consistently pitching so well when it matters to winning the division. To be honest with you, it's actually quite honestly the opposite of last season. Remember the Rays struggled at the start of last season and they just never found their footing until late in the year? The Yankees were pitching so well, and they were hitting great. Of course, Judge set, sets that record. But that was the difference maker. The Yankees last season barely holding on to the AL East or simply losing the division and playing in the wild card round. For the Rays this season, they get off to the hot start, best start of all time, and they're doing an excellent job consistently. But if they fall apart midseason and don't make the acquisitions, they need to you know keep themselves in the, in the float for the World Series. They're going to have the potential issue of what the New York Yankees had last season because they're doing exactly what they did. But I see the Yankees stacking up nicely. Listen, Greg Allen's a part-time solution. We already saw him as the Yankee once. We know he's not going to be a permanent fixture. Uh, obviously, Willi- um, oh, goodness, William Contreras, what am I saying? Um, Calhoun, excuse me. Uh, Willie Calhoun will probably be on his way out the door uh, once you start getting another player back uh, down the road. And then you also have to think about everything else uh, in regards to what you do for other injured players. But uh, I think that, you know, Josh Donaldson will be the interesting topic of conversation when he returns. Um, But I I just feel that the Yankees need to make trades. And I feel that, and I know it's funny because we're talking about a pitcher technically, but if the Yankees are not on Shohei Otani, I don't think you're getting another player at the deadline that could help this team win a World Series because, quite to be quite frank, free agency next year is not going to be really, really big for getting those 
big superstars to turn yourself around. You need to trade for a superstar. And the only two players in my mind that I think the Yankees could go change and say, hey, this can help you win a World Series, would be Shohei Otani or arguably Tim Anderson, who I know Josh Donaldson may not like, but he's still even being hurt the last two seasons, can bat a cusp of 300 and still provide you 20 home runs in a year. And maybe, if you're lucky, triple-digit RBIs. I don't know. Uh, Tim Anderson is a potential to me. I've I've watched two White Sox games this season, and both of them involve Tim Anderson having a crucial error that cost. I mean, they're just the- horrible right now. They're just yeah. horrible. They they are, but he's he's not making them any better in my opinion. But uh, it it, it it's an. But, interesting- well, hold on. Did DJ Lemayhew? Did DJ Lemayhew or you know Troy Tulowitzki make the Colorado Rockies better? Does Charlie Blackman make Colorado Rockies better? Those are all excellent baseball players that have had excellent careers. Of course, Troy Tulowitzki retired, and they found themselves with a good team that had done progress, and they end up finding themselves in the future being successful. Yet they were horrible there. What about what about Giancarlo Stanton, Christian Yelich, the entire Miami Marlins project? Just because they're not helping the Chicago White Sox doesn't mean they can't help another team. Now, I'll argue on the contrary, last season about Andrew Benatendi, I called that fluke from the start. Andrew Benatendi was not a consistently good hitter. He had struggled for three straight seasons and magically found his bat. Does that make him a World Series piece? In my opinion, no. But a lot of people felt that because the market was very thin, and thus the Yankees made a move that ended up ultimately failing. So I think Tim Anderson's a very proven hitter, very proven successful piece, and he's still got years left, of course, not in terms of the contract, but years left of his career where he could play valuable baseball, unlike DJ LeMahieu, who I feel only has maybe at best two or three years left in his career. And granted, I want DJ LeMahieu in the lineup any day, but Tim Anderson could be a great solution to play in the third base spot. 252 with six RBI so far this year for Tim Anderson. I know the team is bad, but, and you mentioned that, that they, you know, with Tulowitzki, LeMahieu, those are good examples of the Rockies. The Rockies still stunk when they had tons of talent. Just look at Arenado, but those guys still managed to put up numbers. And I know Anderson with RBI, you can think about other guys aren't really getting on the, on the base pads, but still he only has five extra base hits so far this year. He does not have a home run yet. So I don't know. I, as as bad as the White Sox are and as dysfunctional as they've been the last couple of years, it's not like Tim Anderson is mutually ex- exclusive from that. He hasn't been that impressive either. So I, to me, I don't know where how well he fits with the Yankees. Raheel, you're the other Yankees fan here. So I'll let you chime in on this little Tim Anderson debate. Uh, I don't know how to feel about it, um, if we're being completely honest, but... I mean, I'm not saying Tim Anderson wouldn't be an upgrade to some of the depth pieces the Yankees have right now, if we're being completely honest. I mean, I mean, he's certainly an upgrade over everyone else the Yankees have that is a depth piece. He's certainly an upgrade from IKF or Jake Bowers, any of those hitters. Well, even I mean, so so we're gonna see about that. But to me, Tim, I mean, you talked about the depth. Right now, to me, I can't really complain much with the Yankees just because they just need to win and keep their heads above water and stay afloat before John Carlos Stanton comes back, which should be by the end of the by the end of the month, maybe early June. So that should definitely help. But I think the key for this season is probably going to be Harrison Bader. I want to see if because we've heard a lot of things about this guy. Now he's one of the best defensive center fielders. He's proved that. But Cardinals fan says he goes through these streaks where he looks like he's the best hitter in baseball. And then he goes through streaks where he looks like worse than Aaron Hicks. So we're going to see if 
he keeps this level up because he, ever since he's come out off the IL, he's been absolutely raking the ball. He's been dominating. He's been so good hitting clutch hits left, right, and center. So that's the big, that's the big question for him. We're going to see if Harrison Bader can keep this up at a relatively consistent level. Now, if see, he drops down. I was saying, but see, to me, that's the problem because how about we think about another hitter that's on the Yankees roster that we heard all these great positive things about coming into the season and he suffers the same fate. His name is Glaber Torres. Think about it. Glaber Torres can get clutch hits here and there and he comes up big, but he still can't hit well for average or really produce meaningful or meaningfully consistently for the Yankees. Doesn't that at least worry you a little bit that I you mean, have two Glaber Torres is on the roster? I, I mean, to me, when I'm looking at this Yankees roster, I can't, I can't complain. I can't complain at all where the team is. The guys who have actually come up, I think have actually done a decent job. I mean, you know, I, the only guy really you can, I mean, Hicks, he had the, the DFA, obviously IKF had somehow hit, has hit a couple of homers. So we're just going to see, I think we'll get a much better read on both the Yankees or the Mets come later, later, maybe early in mid June, I think is where we're going to get a really good read. Cause Eddie, we're not, I mean, we're going to transition to Rets right, right now, but we talked about Verlander, Scherzer struggling, but then Verlander had the bounce back start yesterday where he looked like the Cy Young candidate. So I think we'll get a much better read on these teams come mid June. Yeah, let's go to the NL now. And you know what? There's a segue here because the Nets have won five straight. They've all been against AL teams that made playoffs last year. So my question, I'll just get Raheel's thoughts on this quickly, and then we're going to go to the Mets. The Rays, you know, the Mets just took two of three from them. All these people are saying that this team is fraudulent and that they're saying because of the roster. I mean, the Rays roster is never impressive, but they still find a way to develop guys and win games. And they've got good pitching. I mean, saying that they're fraudulent i don't think I, I maybe just, they're not as good as their pace to begin the year for sure because it's been insane i wouldn't call them fraudulent that far. yeah no i wouldn't call them fraud the main reason people consider the race fraudulent just because they're not a team you expect like what's the one thing we could always the, the rays were always the team you know they always give you a tough time because they're pitching because somehow they develop these good guys but they haven't really had the lineup to back it up this year they kind of do their lineup is much more improved than years prior now we're going to see can because the Rays, they also do go through these stretches where they can't hit the ball. And one thing about the Tempe Rays is sometimes they're so heavily relying on that bullpen that towards the end of the season, midway, you know, 75% of the way, they start to break down. So whether that's the case or not, but we got to forget, I mean, this Rays team, yeah, they made the World Series in the COVID year. The year after that, they back it up and they all, I, they won, I, they nearly won 100 games. Everyone just forgets that because Boston won on that magical run and knocked them out. But the Rays still had a really good season. So it's not like, Last year was sort of an off year, but it's not like the Rays have sort of just completely fallen off a cliff. So I'm not going to call them fraudulent. Now, I don't think the, they're, they can keep up that pace just because of the pace that they're on. I don't think any team can keep that up. But I'm not, not going to call them fraudulent because I think they still match up with any team well because of their pitching. So I'm not, no, calling them fraudulent, I think, is too much. So here's the deal with the Mets. So I said on this show two weeks ago when the three of us were here that I was going to press the panic button if they struggled during that two-week stretch against the bad teams. So I almost hit it, and I was about to, and then that comeback happens against the Rays, and now they've won five straight games. This is what's so puzzling about the Mets this year. Their most impressive series have come against good teams. The Dodgers, the Padres, the Rays, the Guardians, all four teams made the playoffs last year. Chances are they're all probably going to be back in the postseason this year, and the Mets have made easy work of them, yet they play the Tigers and get swept in Detroit They struggle against Washington. They look bad against Colorado. They lose a series in Cincinnati. So it's still so Jekyll and Hyde with the Mets right now. 
What I'll say is good is Verlander and Scherzer both looked masterful yesterday. I have no concerns about Justin Verlander. He had one rocky start out of four. He's looked great in three of them, just had his best outing. I think he's going to be great. To me, Scherzer is the bigger concern because Scherzer is more of a hard thrower. Verlander is a finesse guy. Verlander at this age and with a recently repaired elbow is pretty set up nicely to be able to still go with more in the tank, I feel like, even though he's older. Scherzer has been throwing hard, grunting every time he throws the ball for the last 10 years. Eventually, that's got to catch up with him, and he still hasn't looked to be in prime form just yet and hasn't made it past six innings in a start this season. I have concerns about him. Sanga and McGill are both manageable middle starters. The Mets' back end of the starting rotation is questionable because here's what happens. The pitchers, when they come up, they suck. When they go down to AAA, they're good. That's what we're seeing with Lucchese and David Peterson and Carrasco. Nice guy. I feel for him, but he just doesn't have anything in the tank left to be a starting pitcher anymore. So at this point, the Mets, I think, still need to make a move for a starting pitcher. Offensively, it is nice to see that Buck Showalter and Steve Cohen and Billy Epler are all finally giving the kids a chance to play because guess what? You call up Mark Vientos. Since then, the Mets have not lost a game. Vientos has been in the lineup for three of those five games. Francisco Alvarez has caught great lately. Uh, there's no reason why he should go down when Tomas Nito comes back. I'd keep him and Gary Sanchez as the two catchers until Carlos Narvaez comes back. Excuse me, Omar Narvaez. And then at that point, I'd get rid of Gary Sanchez. I think Sanchez is a filler right now. Uh, Brett Beatty playing a lot, moved up to the five hole, has looked good. Marte's getting things going. Lindor has been great. Alonzo has been tremendous this year. I mean, 17 homers already. The clutch grand slam against Cleveland on Friday. The walk-off three-run bomb against Emmanuel Classe, uh, excuse me, against the Rays on Wednesday. I mean, the, Ray, the, the Mets just have had so many clutch hits over the last five days. The question for me really is can they sustain this and can they play well against the teams they're supposed to beat? It's nice that they're doing this against good teams, but you look at the month of June, it's going to be rough. They play the Astros, they play the Phillies. It's not going to be easy. So I just don't know how well they're going to be able to contend going forwards. Last topic are two teams that have struggled even more than the Mets in the National League that I actually had going to the NLCS this year. And Tim, I'll go to you. Padres, Cardinals, Padres are seven games under 500. Cardinals are six under. Cardinals have won eight of 10. Of those two teams, which one worries you more through 50 games? The Cardinals. It's absolutely the Cardinals. The fact that this team is an offensive juggernaut on paper and the fact that they can't score runs to me is absolutely puzzling. It's not there. I mean, yeah, the pitching stanked the first two weeks of the season, but it's not really this team's pitching that is holding them back right now. It's the fact that they cannot consistently score runs with runners in scoring position or the fact that they can't consistently get on base. Nolan Arenado, granted, he had a couple, you know, he had what, five straight games, I think it was, with a home run. He was hitting clutch. He had a very difficult start to the season. Paul Goldschmidt's been great. He's been excellent. You know, guys like Lars Newbar, they've played, he, you know, he's played very good as well. But with that being said, these guys have played well. They've gotten hits. They've gotten on base. But they haven't still found ways to consistently score, which is just, to me, so puzzling when you think about the big picture. Um, you know, yeah, obviously, guys like Jordan Montgomery have to be better. Um, you know, same thing with Nicholas and that entire rotation. Of course, Adam Wainwright's old, but he's still giving you quality innings. The bullpen could still get a little bit better at the deadline. But I, just to me, the Cardinals, it, it's just – your last 
battling for last in the NL Central, it's not ideal. It's just really, really not ideal because this is a team that on paper I had winning the division by that ad. And I mean, yeah, I guess nobody could have assumed the, you know, resurrection since Andrew McCutcheon uh, became a Pittsburgh Pirate again for this team to really break out. Of course, everybody anticipated at least some more success uh, for teams like the Arizona Diamondbacks, who you could see getting better. But it's like a day and night transition for Pittsburgh, which to me is absolutely stunning. But I would absolutely worry about them a lot more. You know, uh, the Padres are still stacked and loaded. I just think they're doing what San Diego typically does, and that's, you know, underperform on a consistent basis um, and really, unfortunately, just not meet expectations ever since they built that super roster, even going back to years ago. But, I mean, you also want to think about the MLB is so weird right now. Did the did the Nationals start with, like, the worst record in baseball and all of a sudden now they're, like, eight or nine games below 500? Nobody could have predicted that span. And all of a sudden now they're starting to not 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 that they're in the playoff picture but they're starting to battle at least to start knocking off some teams in the NL East the Phillies being another one who hey I thought they were winning the NL East guess what they're a disappointment surprise surprise and they aren't doing anything relevancy either so I think there's a lot of good teams and again I think I talked about it last episode of sports speaking if I didn't it's so weird how in 2022, 2023 in sports where we have all these good teams we know or that we saw last season especially have all the success and thought they'd continue, yet these powerhouse teams are struggling. And in the NL, we're seeing exactly that. The Cardinals, the Phillies, uh, the Padres, all teams that were in the World Series or were in the World Series picture last year doing absolutely nothing but being hideous this year. So to me, I worry the most about the Cardinals, but that's what this season is all about surprises yeah and again it's still may there's time we're about 50 games into the season a lot can change over the summer months and the new wrinkle this year is that you only play 13 games against your division and you play everybody in baseball at least three times which really switches up sort of the strategy and teams that relied on having a bad division maybe to win records or get good wins or being in a good division needing to play all those games it's not as much of a big deal. So we'll see as the summer develops six weeks from the all-star break, how things trend, but that'll do it for this episode of sports speak powered by seat geek. Again, use the promo code sports speak, all caps, one word to get $20 off your first purchase from the site. We appreciate Raheel jazz while joining us again next episode. It'll be motorsports themed because the greatest Sunday in racing is coming up this Sunday, the Indy 500 Monaco and the Coke 600. Lots to talk about there. But until next time, I'm Eddie Kalegi. And I'm Tim Moore. Signing off at Sports Speak. Enjoy the rest of your week.